Welcome to Humidity Matters. The purpose of this podcast is to help you make a better measurement. Because when you make a more accurate and reliable measurement, you're more efficient and you get higher quality output. Because humidity measurement really does matter. I'm Bruce McDuffie, your host, and I've been in the humidity measurement business for about 12 years. I've taught humidity seminars and webinars around the globe, helping people just like you make a better measurement. My co-host is Steve Santoro. Steve's a 35-year veteran of humidity measurement, and Steve has seen many, many different applications that require humidity measurement. He knows what works, and probably more importantly, he knows what does not work in the industrial applications. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for having me back again. Always enjoy chatting about humidity. You betcha. So in this episode of Humidity Matters, we're going to discuss the pros and cons of some of the more common technologies that are used to measure humidity in these industrial process. One of our strengths here at Bicela is that we have engineers on staff that help people make the right choice up front rather than choosing the wrong technology and having to redo the project. So Steve, what's your take on this issue from your frontline experience? Is understanding pros and cons of technology important to reliable humidity measurement? It is uh, quite important. Uh, so there are applications or times where uh, a customer may have selected the wrong product or the wrong solution inadvertently, uh, not knowing the details of the process to help select the right one. I mean, an example may be uh, that's somewhat common that they're trying to measure a a dew point, and it may be too dry of a dew point, and they use a relative humidity and temperature sensor that calculates dew point. So yes, the parameter they're getting is correct, but the sensor technology that was uh, selected just can't make that measurement that they were looking for. So knowing a little bit more about the details of the process and the conditions really help select the right product. And in some cases, we want to make sure that that's done in advance, uh, not after the fact. Yeah, after the fact is probably more expensive for the customer than exactly. getting it up front. You're buying the solution twice. There you go. Well, let's discuss the pros and cons of three types of technology that are used. We see them fairly common in the industrial world. The one is the thin film polymer. And the second one we'll talk about is chilled mirror. And then the third will be aluminum oxide. Would you say those are the three most common? They are. Uh, over the years, some of the other technologies that maybe were developed uh, have sort of uh, not lasted the test of time, and these have really become the ones that have, have lasted. And they each do have their place uh, in the market and in the applications that we come across. Yeah, exactly. And we did talk about wet bulb in one of our previous episodes. So if anybody out there is interested in wet bulb technology, you can check our previous episode. And um, as a matter of fact, we did a seminar, a humidity measurement seminar last week, and we asked a group of about 35 people, what technology are you using? And wet bulb had zero responses. <laughs> so, so we'll leave I that one on and, 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 and some <laughs> things go by the wayside. Yeah, like wet bulb, exactly. The thin film polymer capacitive sensor, it's of course our favorite here at Vaisla because Vaisla invented it. Uh, nevertheless, we'll try to keep things objective. And Steve, how does this technology work? Sure. First, the thin film polymer, which, yes, we did uh, invent actually 50 years ago this year. Um, the structure is basically uh, on a 
wafer made in a clean room, you start with a glass substrate, a lower metal electrode is on top of that, a polymer film on top of that, and then an upper metal electrode that is porous that allows the water molecules to pass through that upper electrode into the polymer. And what we're merely measuring is a change of capacitance between that upper and lower electrode. And that capacitance is a pretty linear relationship with relative humidity. And that's really become the de facto standard for uh, relative humidity sensors, not just with us as the inventor, but other companies that make this technology. Uh, other devices over the years, resistive and other ones that really just weren't proven to hold up as well as the thin film polymer. And that's where it's become the really the de facto standard for relative humidity sensing. Okay. What about uh, the pros of this technology? And let's keep it in the context of the industrial world if we can. Sure. Yeah. A lot of the advantages of this device, it, it uh, covers a wide range, pretty much can do what we would call zero to 100% relative humidity. Uh, become very stable, very quick to response. So there is such a thin polymer there. It can uh, absorb and desorb the moisture and have very quick response. It can get completely wet, dry out, recover, and be fine. Uh, it also can be resistant to certain contaminants. Uh, so over the years, that polymer and the metals that are used, although the design may not have changed too much, the materials that have been used have been optimized to make it a bit more chemically resistant. And the cons or negatives, and now I know this might be tough because it's device-led technology, but no, um, no, we don't have the right solution. The goal would not be to just sell somebody something if it isn't going to work. So we know there are limitations, and, and a couple of them mm -hmm. would be, we mentioned a little bit about that low end, although we may say zero to 100% humidity, even if a, a sensor is plus or minus 1% as accurate as, as you can get, you really don't want to be using that sensor to measure you know, less than 5% RH. So if you were trying to measure 2% RH with a sensor that's plus or minus one, you know, you're plus or minus 50% of your reading. So that's a place that we would not recommend it. And although we've done some things uh, to improve its chemical resistance to contaminants in the air, there are going to be places where it just can't be used. It is a polymer and that polymer needs to sort of breathe with the atmosphere. So unlike a temperature sensor that you can encapsulate, uh, you really can't do that with this RH type of sensor. So if it's going to have acids, corrosive agents, it's just not going to be a place the instrument will survive. And then that's where other solutions need to be investigated. And of course, we want our uh, folks out there listening to this, we want you to have the best solution. And we're certainly happy to say, not happy, but we're certainly <laughs> um, willing to say that if this technology doesn't fit, then you should not use it. Now, nobody wins. I mean, we may get a sale, but it doesn't do much for the long term for our reputation as sort of thought leaders in this measurement. And we know what works and where it won't. And, and if we don't have the solution, we can probably direct you to somebody in a place that you could find that solution. Exactly. And what about for thin film polymer, uh, Steve, can you share a couple of examples or maybe one example where it works well and one where you've seen it fail? Yeah, I would say the where it works well, probably endless. Uh, but, you know, places it maybe doesn't hold up, I, I'd say some of the more common ones are these aggressive chemicals. And, and the issue, I think, sometimes is it's, it's tough for us to replicate every set of conditions. So we may have tests we've run on certain chemical 
contaminants at certain concentrations, but we've also find that it's not just a concentration of a particular chemical contaminant. It could be the temperature and the pressure in addition to that. And so it may be okay at ambient pressure, but at elevated pressures, that chemical could have a bigger impact and the same with different temperatures. Uh, some of these acids in very dry conditions maybe aren't as bad, but as it gets more humid, those uh, acids become much more corrosive. That can be bad. And then the other thing we struggle with is not just a certain chemical at a certain concentration, it's the combination of other chemicals. And mm -hmm. So sometimes it's the, there's endless combinations that we really can't test. We can sometimes look at the data of what we had. And in some cases, we may just be honest with the customer that we're not sure it's possible. And we may try a demo. And if the sensor works, we both learn something. And if it fails, okay, we're out the cost of, a, of an instrument at our end. But we've also learned a place to, to maybe in the future know that it, it isn't going to work for us and can advise customers accordingly. Very good. Let's talk about chilled mirrors. And the way a chilled mirror works for folks out there who don't uh, aren't familiar with it, this is a device that's, and it's fairly common in laboratories, and I've seen it in a few processes as well. Basically, it's a precision device that it cools a mirror until dew forms. And at the moment that that dew forms, whatever the temperature is, that's the dew point temperature. So Steve, um, what are the pros and cons of chilled mirrors? Yeah, sure, Bruce. So they're very good at the dry end. They can do quite low levels of moisture. So well below when we talk about the relative humidity, we're generally talking uh, in the dew point range. So we're well below, say, a 1% IRH. Uh, they are a, a primary measurement, so they're directly measuring the dew point, so it becomes a great standard. I mean, we don't make them ourselves as Vaisla, but we have many in our labs as references. Uh, they do cover a wide range, and they can have some good long-term performance, but do require uh, maintenance. But it's a great lab reference uh, to use, especially in the right conditions. And the cons or negatives of chilled mirrors? Well, I mean, compared to a conventional, say, relative humidity sensor or even a capacitive dew point sensor, these will be quite expensive. So to get that precision, um, sometimes in the order of maybe uh, 10 times more accurate than a, say, a polymer dew point sensor, if you need that precision as a reference measurement, uh, you will pay for that. And it is going to be expensive. Uh, there is a bit more skill to operate these, a little bit of training and maintenance. It's not as simple as uh, maybe turning a, a button on or, or powering up an instrument. And that maintenance uh, is about keeping the mirror clean and keeping the uh, the device uh, up to its standards. And the nature of this mirror, because it's an optical measurement, uh, if the mirror gets dirty, if the process um, has dirt and dust and contaminants, if that mirror does get dirty, then it will affect the optics and it won't work. So again, it's a, it's a great lab reference measurement, but not necessarily a good process measurement. And the environment has to be fairly stable too for these to work well, is that true? That's when they they perform best. Uh, correct. Okay. Have you seen some examples of applications where it's been a good fit or a bad fit? Yeah, you know, and a good fit. Again, as I mentioned in our own uh, laboratory, where we do humidity and dew point traceable calibrations, we do keep several of these mirrors as reference. So, in a clean, dry uh, calibration laboratory, it's. Uh, it, it's a great primary reference to have 
uh, available. Uh, I would say on the sort of something where we've come across an application, I could think of one. Uh, this is uh, gas turbines where you're using these to produce uh, create electricity. We're bringing in air, uh, the combustion air, and that air is, is going to be monitored. And uh, application we came across, they had standardized on a chilled mirror technology, but it just could not be maintained and wasn't given consistent readings. In fact, it didn't take long before the readings were, were coming offline. And we were uh, approached to see if we had a solution that maybe we could address this market with a, a, a different solution. And our polymer sensor uh, has ended up something being uh, what worked better. Uh, as we approached and looked at the uh, existing install, uh, these are you know, not easy to get to. They're maybe 30, 35 feet up in the air. We uh, get to the unit, take off the service cover, and there's a note that says, attention user, please clean mirror once a week. And you know, <laughs> these two guys looked at each other, and, and that was maybe the first time they had seen this. And this is not the kind of device they could actually access and would have the practicality to get to and clean a mirror uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, whereas uh, the polymer solution we provided might have a annual calibration check, and that's pretty much it. So it's, you know, right product for the right conditions. And, and you know, the most expensive one is not always the, the best solution either. So even if you said money's not an object, putting a more expensive device in the wrong solution uh, may not get you the best measurement. In fact, it, in this case, could get you a worse measurement. That's good advice. And that's an interesting story. Let's discuss aluminum oxide sensors. And basically, this is a technology that measures the amount of water vapor or the partial pressure, if you recall our earlier episodes, rather than measuring the relative humidity or dew point. And basically, the way it works is you've got a, a solid substrate, ceramic or sometimes solid aluminum, and you have a thin layer of anodized aluminum, and then you coat that with a very thin layer of permeable gold. And then the gold and aluminum layers form the electrode. And as water molecules absorb into the anodized aluminum, it changes the capacitance of the sensor. And it's directly proportional to the amount of water vapor present. Steve, what would make the aluminum oxide a good technology to choose for an industrial application? Sure. Well, they are small, so we can... Uh... You can get them into more of an inline process. Uh, they also can measure uh, quite low. When we talk about quite low, we're talking dew points down in the level of minus 100 degrees C. So when wow. we're down at those levels. We're talking, you know, in the single digit pots per million, uh, maybe even a bit lower. So very dry conditions uh, they can excel at as well. And the negatives or the cons? Yeah, so the nature of this technology, it will have a much slower response time. So a lot of these devices, uh, they may take, especially from an initial installation from, uh, say, an ambient condition into these dry atmospheres, there's some drought, uh, dry down time, which could be uh, several hours to uh, upwards of a day or two to get into the right conditions. Uh, the other thing you have to be careful with is that uh, because they're very good at the dry atmospheres, they're uh, shouldn't be used at, at any sort of a wetter or moist process. In fact, uh, several of these, when you receive the unit and store the unit when it's not in use, you'll actually see uh, a 
a container or a, or a tube of desiccant screwed over the probe to protect it hmm. and keep that probe from even absorbing just the ambient dew point of the air that you be in, not even into a high dew point process. So keeping that probe dry before it's in use is also important and it helps with that dry down. And if these sensors do see too high a humidity, a lot of times they will have to be recalibrated. They just won't recover on their own. So there's a bit more care and maintenance, but if you need the very dry atmosphere measurement, then it's a solution to consider and, and investigate. Got it. And a couple of applications, maybe one where you've seen it work or you have seen it not work. Yeah. Uh, again, so in, in some very dry conditions, we've uh, come across people who are maybe looking in uh, some semiconductor where the process could be down in that minus 100C. That's a place where some of these have excelled and worked well. Uh, so if the condition is constantly dry and constantly at that low level, uh, it can be a solution for you as long as it's not uh, getting into a, a higher dew point or a wetter part of the process. And then yeah, maybe some of the places it doesn't is, again, where you're going to have varying dew points, you know, from a maybe a dry condition where it can wet up. And when if those sensors do get wet, uh, in many cases, yes, they will need to be recalibrated. In some cases, you may have permanently damaged the sensor if you exposed it to too high of a concentration or if the sensor gets uh, wet and you can't really uh, clean it. So it would need to probably go back to its factory to be serviced and reconditioned so it can be put back into use. I used to sell uh, air compressors. Sometimes we'd have to go out and measure dew points. So we take a portable hygrometer out there and we'd put it in place. It was the aluminum oxide technology and we'd have to let it sit for 24 hours. So drop it off one afternoon, come back the next <laughs> afternoon to get the reading. Yeah, and, I mean, in its time early on, it might have been the solution, but you know, as things evolve and new ones come, again, yeah. it, it still has its place, but uh, I think we've at least addressed some of the places where maybe it uh, there are better solutions now than, than those currently. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, we've discussed the pros and cons of thin film polymer sensor technology, chilled mirrors, and then aluminum oxide. But bottom line, when you're purchasing a hygrometer or you're replacing an existing system or you're setting up a new process, be sure to choose the technology that's the best fit for your application. Steve, once again, thanks again for sharing your knowledge and experience and those applications and the pros and cons of the technology. I'm sure that our loyal listeners are really appreciative so they can make a better measurement. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, what we're going to talk about next. Uh, not sure what it is, but uh, let's see. Yeah, well, I can mention that in our okay. next episode that we're going to kick off a two-part series, and we're going to discuss the seven points or the seven key points to help you select the correct hygrometer for your application. And it'll be a seven-point checklist and, again, two episodes, and it'll help you narrow in and build upon this episode of pros and cons of technology. Sounds good. Looking forward to it, Bruce. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, when it comes to product quality and process efficiency, humidity measurement does matter. <laughs>